So all who are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. So reading from Colossians. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. Would you please to pray with me before we continue? Would you please pray? Father, we uh, pause again uh, because we realize that we are not just a group of people on our own gathering, but that we have been called to be meeting with you. You have gathered us together. You are already at work, uh, not only listening to us, but drawing near to us and speaking to us as you have just done in your word. And so as people who need you, who need to draw nearer to you, we ask that as we consider what you are saying, that you would help us to hear, that you would shape us, that you would grow us, that you enable us to become more like Christ Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been considering a question for the last few weeks and will be for most of the rest of the spring uh, until June. And the question is a simple one. It's the one that I think Colossians invites us to ask, and that is, how do we grow? To be living is to be growing. The two go hand in hand. To be alive is to develop, is to change, is to become more the people that we were created to be. And when we're stuck, when that stops happening, we stop living. So how do we grow? Well, we've been praying this prayer, Father, fill us 
with the knowledge of your will. And, and part of what that is communicating to us is that growth happens through understanding, through knowledge that for us to grow well, we need to know well. We need to understand well. And this isn't new information. This is something that pretty much you'll hear again and again. Anytime if you go to a bookstore and you pull a self-help book off of the shelf, it will have some sort of thing. It's like, if you want to grow, if you want to change, here's what you need to understand. Understanding is key. Or if you were to hear a motivational speaker, they would probably say something like, I once was like this until suddenly I saw life differently. And that made all the difference. Understanding, understanding rightly is key to us growing well. But what's unique about what Colossians tells us is what we need to understand. That we grow as we come to understand the gospel. That growing, true growing happens as we come to know what it means that we are loved by God. That his will for this world is gracious. That his will is to bring all things together in Christ Jesus. We grow as we come to understand, as we saw last week, that Jesus is at the center of everything. And this, this knowledge that will grow us, it's not just a factual knowledge. Like, you know, any, any three-year-old, if you give them words, they can memorize and spit it out, but that's not what is central about growing. What's central about growing is to have this understanding fill us. To fill us so deeply that it shapes not only our mind, but our emotions and our actions and everything about us. So that it even starts kind of bleeding out to the really small things. Like how we are when we are frustrated in the middle of traffic. We are praying that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But, but here's the thing. That kind of understanding, the understanding that really helps us to grow, doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen overnight. Growing in Christ is a lifelong project. And what that means is if you are a Christian, you almost certainly will encounter the dip. What do I mean by the dip? Well, let's imagine for a moment that you are driving to like a furniture place. You've been wanting to pick up some furniture and there's a place in the middle of nowhere that you've heard is good and your phone dies along the way so you no longer have GPS. And so you do what, you know, they used to do. You pull over to a gas station, you ask for directions of how you get to this furniture place and, and this guy, and you're not quite sure if he understands your question, but he gives you some sort of directions and you go back to your car and you start doing it and, you know, you're supposed to go two miles this way then take a left then take a right and you start doing it and it just... It doesn't really look like you're getting anywhere closer to a furniture store. It's just residential and fields. And so you're starting to have a decision before you. And we, maybe we've experienced this before. Do I turn back? Because maybe this guy didn't know what he was talking about. Maybe I could be driving, you know, until I hit Iowa and I'll still never see this furniture store. Do you turn back? Or do you decide to just keep going a bit further because you might just almost be there? Or say that you are experiencing, like you're just not feeling healthy and you've decided that it's probably related to your diet. So you go to see a nutritionist and the nutritionist sets this, you know, like multiple week plan for you and you look at it and you groan because none of the food is food that you like. But you do it. You do it for the first few days and honestly, not only are you unhappy with your meals, but you're really not feeling any better. In fact, you're feeling less energy than before. 
So at this point, you again have a decision. Do you decide, you know what, this isn't working for me, and just kind of give up and get back to the way things were? Or do you say, I'm going to stick with this a little longer, because maybe, just maybe, if I go longer, I will start experiencing the benefits that I was hoping for. Now, in both of those situations, you are possibly experiencing the dip. The dip actually is a term that um, Seth Godin, a business writer, coined. And he uses it to describe that gap between when you first start with something and you have all this energy and excitement, and there's a gap between that and when you finally arrive at what you wanted to experience, where you finally achieve. And that gap is a time where there can be resistance, where there can be complexity, where you are investing a lot of energy, but it does not feel like you are really getting results. And Godin says that almost anything worth accomplishing will experience the dip. And I think he's right. For example, if you are in college and you're pre-med and you want to become a doctor, you will have to go through organic chemistry. And when you do, you're going to say, there's nothing about this that is awesome. There's nothing about this that I see connecting with what's going to happen in the future. You feel like you're wasting energy. And so you'll see on the sides of the road, many people's lives just kind of wasted away by organic chemistry, never making it to the next step. But if you push through it and you get to the other side, you're going to be much more likely to get where you want to go. Or you might love the piano. You might love hearing the piano. And so as a kid, you start taking lessons. And the first few lessons are great because you're really enjoying the feeling. But then you're just doing scales. And it feels like nothing is happening. And why are you doing scales? And it totally does not sound like journey, which is really what you want it to sound like. <laughs> and the thing is, in that moment, you could just stop. Right? You could say, you know what, this is never getting married. But if you pushed through it, you pushed through the skills, at a certain point on the other side, when you get through the dip, you will experience the satisfaction of being able to play the piano. Again and again throughout life, in so many different ways, we see this gap between what we want to do and finally experiencing it where it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere, where we can be confused, where we're being exhausted, and we are tempted to stop. Now, Godin is not suggesting that we should always never quit, always do whatever, because there are some times, honestly, that what we're experiencing when we're experiencing that resistance is a dead end. I mean, it could be that you got directions that were sending you to Iowa, and if you don't stop, it will be a problem. Or it could be that the nutrition was not a good plan, or that you really should never be a doctor, or that, you know what, you are tone deaf, so piano practicing is not going to help you. There are some times that you need to just realize that this is not going to go anywhere. And the sooner you can realize that you've hit a dead end, the better, because it's not worth investing energy into a dead end. But sometimes, and perhaps it's actually more often than we realize, when we're experiencing resistance, we think that we've hit a dead end and we give up. But if we had just kept pushing, if instead of pulling back, we had actually leaned in and really driven ourselves, we would have found that it was actually just a dip, and then on the other end was the satisfaction of accomplishing what we were setting out to do. I bring that up because when we read Colossians, as we understand what's going on, the more that I've read it, the more that I've realized that the church and Colossae were experiencing a dip. 
They were encountering resistance. They were encountering, maybe we could call it a dry spell in their Christian faith. And they were wondering, is this actually a dead end? Is this following Christ not going to get us where we want to go? We can see some hints even at the beginning of our passage. Notice in verse 22, Paul is talking about what what Christ has done. He says, he has now reconciled you in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now those are like, you know, kind of very churchy words, but when you actually think about them, that's, that's a really beautiful picture to present us holy, blameless, without fault, above reproach, nothing criticizable. He's saying that Christ is working to make it so that on the last day, our faith will be deep and unshakable. Our love will be vast and real. We will be people of integrity, people of patience, people of immense joy. This is what Jesus is doing. And isn't that, isn't that what we want? When we're talking about growing, that's the people we want to become. And Paul says, this is where you're going. But then he says, if. Did you notice? Like right after, he says, if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, why would Paul say that here? It's because he knows that this is the very thing the Colossians are facing. They are tempted to not stay with the faith. They are, they are being tempted to shift from their hope to say that my hope is no longer in Christ because it seems like Christ is a dead end. See, the reality is, if you are a Christian for any length of time, you will experience resistance. You will experience struggle. It can happen in a number of different ways. I've seen this before when, when someone comes to Christ as an adult and there is this period of almost euphoria where, where God's word feels alive and they feel like they're always learning and there's a vitality to faith and there's this sense that they're constantly growing and there's this joy and it is awesome but then at a certain point some of that kind of tails off and, and growth happens much more slowly if at all. And they start noticing the the hard and confusing parts of Scripture. And they go through times that prayer doesn't feel as intimate. And what they're encountering in that moment is the dip. It's not just for for new Christians. For people who are are mature Christians who have gone through faith for many years, C.S. Lewis talks about how our faith will experience undulations. He speaks of peaks and troughs, or we might call it and dips. You know, there are times where it just seems clear that Jesus is real. We know his love intimately. We see answers to prayer, and it is awesome. But then there are other times where our faith feels so, so feeble. And when we're praying, it feels like no one is there. You know, there are a number of words that people use to describe. People talk about being spiritually dry, or people talk about you know, having a, a desert, or sometimes it's even spoken of as the dark night of the soul. And what they're speaking of is, is what we could call the dip, a time where faith involves a lot of energy where it seems like we're receiving nothing out of it. And it seems like maybe we've hit a dead end. 
And, and the Colossian church seems to be experiencing that. As we study throughout the book, there are certain hints that implies that they felt at least two things, that faith felt really foolish and their faith felt really frustrating. It felt foolish because they were the only ones who believed the things that they believed. On one hand, there are you know, the, the very pious and devout Jews that they respect, but they think that they're just a heretical cult. On the other hand, you've got the Gentiles, the people that they are friends with, that they know well, but they think they're nuts to think that God could take on a body and he could die and that body could be resurrected. And the Jews think that they're being way too loosey-goosey by eating whatever they want. And the Gentiles think they're being way too prudish by having sexual ethics. And no one seems to see what they see. Everyone thinks they're foolish. And when everyone thinks you're foolish, that does take a toll on you. I mean, we know that, don't we? When we hear again and again that that to follow Christ as we believe we are called to is, is intolerant. That it's superstitious. That it's extreme. When the people we know, the thought leaders, the artists, our neighbors, all of them seem to be living life just fine without any consideration of Christ Jesus whatsoever. It can start feeling weak. We can find ourselves wondering sometimes if we're driving down a street because someone's given us directions and maybe we're not going the right way at all. We're encountering the dip. And so are the Colossians. And what compounded it is the fact that not only was this feeling foolish, but it was frustrating. There was challenge. There was suffering. I mean, think about even the very nature of this letter. When Paul is writing, do you remember where he is writing from? He's in prison. In prison specifically because he's following Jesus faithfully. And so if this person, who really is the example of what the Christian life looks like, and shows you this is what it means to follow Jesus, is suffering for the gospel, how do you think that will make you feel? In fact, Paul doesn't try to hide that. Did you notice? He actually does the very opposite. Again and again, he, he talks about this. So the very beginning verse, sorry, actually verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And when you get to verse 29, for this I toil, struggling. And again, to verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Paul is not bashful about the fact that this is hard. He is exerting himself. This is difficult. And the implication is, if this is what it looks like for Paul, the pace setter of the faith, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul never says, this is just me. Don't worry. You guys haven't made. It's easy. It's simple. No. He doesn't say that because, well, that's just not true. And we know that. Any of us who have followed Christ for any extended period of time know that following Jesus sometimes can bring us to a place of real discomfort. I mean, it brought Paul to prison. I've seen people who follow Jesus faithfully and yet are in times of great financial duress. Or who have sought to do something that it seems risky because of their faith in Christ and have experienced difficulty as a result. And we know that following Jesus can come side by side with grief. To, to follow Jesus means to open our hearts in love which also means opening our hearts to pain. And that too happens as we follow Christ. Following Christ can happen side by side with, with failure 
enormous failure. And even following Christ, as we are seeking to grow in him, we can encounter feelings of inadequacy, of doubt, of confusion. It can be frustrating. And it was for the Colossian church. And see, what they are encountering, what we are encountering in those times where it seems like we are exerting effort and yet we are getting nothing out of it and we're uncertain, this is the dip. This is that gap between what we are setting out to accomplish and actually experiencing the fruit of what we accomplish. And it's really important to be able to recognize that as such. It's important for us to be able to step back and say, this is not a surprise. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because if we can, then we can be ready. Because the reality is, during that dip, during that time where we feel so inadequate and insecure in our faith, that is a time where we are vulnerable for temptation. Paul certainly recognized that with the Colossian church. In 2 verse 4, he says, I say this, and we'll see that he's saying things to kind of help them through the dip. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks is there are people who are telling them, you are hitting a dead end. Jesus will only take you so far, we can take you to the next level. They are turning people away from Jesus. And Paul says, I'm saying this because I know that right now you are supremely vulnerable to that teaching. That teaching that will tempt you away, that will cause you to think that you are at a dead end and you need to try something else. There is this um, interesting little book uh, written by C.S. Lewis. Maybe some of you have encountered it called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you have read it. Um, It's a fictional set of letters written by an older demon named Screwtape to his nephew, who's still a bit of a noob when it comes to this demon thing, named Wormwood. And, and letter after letter is saying, this is how you should tempt humanity. It's kind of an interesting way of doing it. And one of the things he says is, when people are at the trough, that's C.S. Lewis's language, for the dip, this is a prime time to tempt them. There's different ways, he says, you can tempt them. We can be tempted, he says, Sometimes when we're in that time of just feeling empty inside, that's when we are especially prone to physical temptations, whether that's sexual temptations or or overeating or addictions. When we're in the dip, we're more vulnerable. Or he says, you know, another thing that you can do is you can convince them that what they're experiencing right now is all that Christianity ever is. You can start making them think that whatever they once remembered of the joy of the gospel, of the glory of faith, all of that was just foolishness and they're not really remembering it well. And this plodding, slow half-heartedness is everything. To get them to settle for that. Or he says, if you can get them to that point, then you can probably get them to the next point of believing that this whole Christianity thing, it's not really going anywhere. And to start having them look elsewhere. See, when we're in the dip, we are in a time of vulnerability. A time, maybe even right now you're experiencing that where it feels like this this isn't enough. Maybe I have this wrong. Maybe I should look elsewhere. And it's important for you to know what you're experiencing is not a dead end. Because here's the truth, and I apologize if this sounds overly simplistic or a pat answer, I say it only because it is true. 
Whenever we place our faith in Christ and put our hope in him, it is never, ever a dead end. It is always, always a time of difficulty, a time of resistance that is on the way to something that is far greater and far more beautiful. But we will only really be able to discover that when we come to the other side of the dip. And and Paul, in this, even as he's recognizing where they are, he is trying to help them to understand just how glorious the goal that they are pursuing is. So there are a number of places that we see that, you know, one place that can just kind of center in is in 2 verse 2. He talks about he is struggling so that there, that is, both Colossians and other believers' hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's a lot of words there, right? So it's so dense. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's where you're going. Here is Christ's growth plan for you that I'm participating in you, that you might be given the riches of full assurance and understanding. And what is it that we're going to be understanding and knowing Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything. Do you want to be someone who is even keeled and is not easily made anxious or affected by things, but able to be at peace, you're going to find that in Jesus. Do you long to be able to relate better to your kids or to your spouse or to friends, to be able to just love well and wisely? You will find that in Jesus. Do you desire to experience joy that comes in knowing the beauty of God himself? This is what we find in Jesus, in Jesus alone, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because, remember, he is the center of all things. All things came together through him and are for him. In him are hidden all of these things. And you notice how Paul is emphasizing the glorious wealth. Again and again, he uses languages like this. He says, you know, back in 27, to... to Us, the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And then we saw it in just the verses that I just read. In verse 2, knit together in love to reach all the riches of full understanding, in whom, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You will experience untold wealth in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Because that's really where wealth is found. You and I both know this. We have seen people in our lives around us who experience an enormous amount of wealth, but very little amount of happiness. And so we know just to have physical riches is not really where wealth is found. There is a deeper wealth. A wealth that comes in having wisdom and love and joy. And that comes to you in Christ Jesus. In him are all the riches of wisdom 
and knowledge. The reason that we feel foolish, that we feel alone, is not because everyone's right and we're wrong. It's because you and I have had the, the privilege of being able to come to know something that the world for generations never knew. I mean, that's another thing that Paul says. He speaks about how his goal is to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now, a mystery, by the way, we think of mystery, we think Sherlock Holmes, we think murder. Mystery in, this, uh, in the biblical times was a truth that has been kept hidden. It says, this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What is the mystery? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. For, for generations upon generations, humanity was left in the dark, not knowing how a world this broken could be fixed. For generations after generations, even amongst the people of Israel, they knew they had God's promises, but they had no idea how God was going to rescue them. No one could anticipate what God would do, that he would become one of us, Christ among us that he would die to redeem us, to heal all things through him. This is a mystery that has been hidden for millennia, but now has been revealed, not to everyone, but to you and to me, to the church. We follow Jesus not because it's foolishness, but because we have been given this enormous privilege of knowing something that no one else has known for millennia. This is not a dead end. It's a dip. And the frustration that we feel, the suffering that we experience, notice how Paul reframes that in these verses. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Isn't that counterintuitive? I am in prison. I have no freedom. I am chained I am in some ways in physical misery, and I am so glad. Why? And the only reason we can draw as we keep reading the following verses is that he so deeply believes in what he is doing. And so verse 28, this is what he's doing. Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil. And what he's saying is, the reason I rejoice is because I know that what I am doing, bringing about your maturity so that you can experience the riches that are found in Christ Jesus, that is so glorious that it is worth my suffering. And if he, and I think this is the implication of what he's saying, if he can find joy in the fact that what he's doing brings about our growth, then we also can find joy if we can just recognize how good, how glorious the outcome of this dip will be. See, what God is doing by bringing us through this time of challenge is not just him kind of being asleep at the wheel and forgetting and just allowing us to go through hardship. 
He's actually doing it for a real purpose. He is bringing us through this difficulty because he knows, like when we practice, it gets us to the place that we need to do, or all of these other dips that are part of the process of growth, that bringing us through these challenges is what we need to grow us and get us to that experience of knowing who Christ is more fully. You know, C.S. Lewis, um, back to the screw tape letters one more time, he, uh, he, you know, screw tape warns his nephew about the dip. He writes, it's actually during the dip that God is most capable and most at work of making those believers more into the people they were created to be. Here's what he says to Screwtape. He says, do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human who no longer feels desire but still intends to do our master's will, or enemy's will, excuse me, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. Saying, there is nothing more dangerous to the cause of Satan or the enemy than when in the midst of the dip, when we don't feel desire, when we don't see God, and yet we continue to push through. Because it is in those moments that God is actually at work in us, refining us and teaching us faith, enabling us to be the people we were created to be. You know what? This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to know people who are further along in the faith than we are. Because if you talk to someone who has been a believer for decades upon decades, they will tell you that again and again they have been through points like this where it has seemed like God is distant, that he has forgotten them, where it seems like faith is so hard and there's no joy in it. And every single time when they come to the other side of it, they will look back and see just how good God was. They will come to understand how God has been reshaping their desires, giving them a deeper understanding of his will, drawing them closer to Christ, and they rejoice. But the only way to discover the reality of that is by coming through to the other side. The only way is if we are able to recognize that when we are feeling spiritually dry, when we're in the desert, that this is not a dead end. This is only a dip. See, I suspect there are two groups of people here for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Some of you right now are experiencing challenges. You're experiencing troubles. It is hard. And the rest of you are experiencing them tomorrow or the next day. Because that is what it looks like in this broken world to follow Christ. And Paul wants us to understand, have a vision for just how glorious the destination is. Yes, things are going to be hard. Yes, they're difficult, but they are never a dead end. Because in the very process of, of moving through the dip, God is refining us. In this process, we are growing. And in and through this, we are coming to know Jesus in whom we find all of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. And we are being made glorious. So, we now have an opportunity, as we always do, um, as we hear God's word, to respond in prayer. And I don't know what God is doing amongst you. Some of you probably are in that difficult time right now. 
Some of you aren't. I'd invite you, you know, if there are times where you feel like you need to confess an awareness of how you have kind of succumbed to temptation because of the emptiness, this is the time to bring them before our God who is so forgiving. But I also invite you, if you right now are not in that place, to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are. We're in this together. God is working in and through these difficult times to fill us with the knowledge of his will and to make us beautiful. So would you please join with me in spending some time in some silent prayer of confession and praying for each other, and then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple of minutes' time. Father, before you, we acknowledge our own inadequacy. We lean on our own understanding and our own strength, and when we do, that always fails us. And Lord, some of us even now are feeling uncertain. Maybe intellectually we hold on to the reality of who you are, but emotionally it seems so distant. Others of us probably at times are feeling the opposite, that there's almost this, this self-confidence where we don't realize that we're not leaning on you and we just feel fine. Either way, Lord, we need you. We confess our lack of faith, our lack of love, and we ask for the strength that you alone can provide. Father, we especially this morning pray for those who are feeling like they can't move further, where they feel even abandoned by you. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you would help move them through this time, that you would continue to show your love and to grow them. And we pray for all of us, whether in times of good or difficulty. Lord, continue to fill us more and more with who Jesus is. Help us more and more to experience the riches that are found in Christ Jesus, in whom are all wisdom and understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here again, the good news of the gospel from Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God.